Hey guys, good morning. Uh, I think our kids are already dismissed to the red line. If not, you guys can make your way back there. If we can, let's open up our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And if you grabbed one of the Bibles when you guys came in here, it is page 553. And if you guys need a Bible, just raise your hand and one of our ushers would love to hand you guys uh, one of our church Bibles. Once again, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, page 553. Uh, three. Uh, my name is Kenson. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Park, specifically our Bridgeport location. So glad uh, to be with you guys. And as Rafe has already mentioned today, we start off our seven-week sermon series on Explore God. These are a series of topics that address some of the most pressing questions people have around Christianity. And let me just show you the list of the questions that, that we have here. And what we're, ha- what we're starting off here with today is what the purpose of life. Now, as we get started, there's a couple of things I want to share with you guys to kind of prep us for this. First is this, hang in there with us. You know, we're going to be wrestling through some hard topics, and there will be times where you will hear things that will not agree with your worldview. You will, you will I guarantee you, you will hear things that will not agree with your worldview. And I want to ask you to come into this series with humility. To let us process together, to think this one out, to wrestle through together, to give us the opportunity to show you the reasonableness of the Christian faith, to show you that it's not a blind faith, it's not a naive faith, but it's a faith that's rooted in reason, in history, and in evidence. A helpful resource for this conversation is this book by Tim Keller called The Reason for God. You know, Tim is a New York pastor and a great cultural thinker, and this is one of the best books out there when it comes to thinking well through these hard topics. You know, also as well, to help with this conversation, uh, we're also going to have a Q&A time right after, uh, right after my sermon is done. Ray's going to come up here, and he's going to handle the questions. So if you guys want to have your questions answered, uh, go ahead and text it to 62953-ASK-SL, South Loop, ASK-SL, space, your question. Now, you know it would have worked because you get a text right back from us saying, we got your question. So as soon as we're done here, uh, our production team is going to put the questions up on the slides, and then Rafe's going to go ahead and wrestle through it. I will not be here, so ask any questions you want, okay? I'm totally cool with that, all right? So with that, let's go ahead, read our verses, pray, and talk about the purpose of life. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, page 553 in the church Bibles. It says this, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south. The wind goes to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the winds return. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eyes is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has all been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there, there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And if you guys can, keep your finger in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Now turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, all the way to the very end of this letter, of this book here. At the very end, and I want to look at the last two verses of this letter. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. 
the last two verses of this book, says this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You guys can turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Let me just pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we have an opportunity um, as a congregation to be able to wrestle through these topics and to know that your word has answers, that your word gives clarity. And Father, I pray that that would happen for all of us here, that we would have clarity, and Father, that our faith would grow, that for some of us here with the spiritual dots connect for us. And friends, before I close this in a word of prayer, would you just, share, would you just pray this to God? Show me my purpose. Show me my purpose. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I went to the University of Illinois at Chicago, UIC, uh, for my undergraduate education. Now, the school is very practical. It was a very practical choice for me. It was close to home. Um, most of my friends were already going there, so I get to keep those relationships. And financially, with all the aid that I was getting, it was practically free for me to go to school. Actually, some semesters I actually got paid like 50 bucks to go to school because there was a little bit left over. So it was, it was awesome. So going to UIC was a very easy decision. Now, what wasn't so easy was knowing what I was going to study. Now, a lot of my friends, they knew right away, even in high school, what they were going to be. I'm going to be a teacher, a nurse, an engineer. I'm going to go into medicine. I'm going to go into business. I had no clue what I wanted to be. So for two and a half years, I just roam around UIC, taking a bunch of like random classes, some humanities classes, whatever. I don't know what I'm doing here. And people were asking me all the time, Kenson, man, what are you going to study, man? You know, uh, what are you going to do? What's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? And it's frustrating because I didn't even have a 10-minute plan. I have no idea where my life was going. And I didn't finally declare my major until the school's policy made me declare a major. And this is how I decided my major. I was sitting in the library. I knew I had to make a decision by the next day. I looked over to my friend, who's a pretty smart guy, and I said, hey, man, you know, what's your major? Oh, bioengineering. And I'm like, if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. And that was it. That was it. I declared my major in bioengineering the next day. And for the next three years, I was miserable. I died a slow death and I hated it. I did not want to be an engineer. And as you can see today, I'm as far away from engineering as humanly possible. Now, I share this with you because the most important question you will ever face is this. What is the purpose of my life? You know, it's been said that the two greatest moments of our lives is the day that we are born and the day that you find out why. Now, we need to be careful here because sometimes we can confuse living with purpose as the same thing as success. Those things are not the same thing because you can have all the success in the world and still feel empty. This is why we have people who are super smart, but yet they still feel like they can't solve any of their problems. That you can have successful business people who feel empty. You have beautiful people on the outside, but they feel like a fake on the inside. This emptiness all roots from not knowing your purpose. Do you know your purpose? The sad reality is that for many of us, we don't know how to answer this. 
So since we don't know how to answer it, we begin to guess, we begin to speculate, we talk about, you know, just, just following your instincts, and, and I hope that when I die, that hopefully it all works out and my life would have mattered. That is crazy. That's crazy. Just think about it. That's crazy. You are banking your whole entire life on a gut feeling. In no other area of your life do you do this. Do you tolerate this? You know, for example, let's go with a really simple example. Let's just say that after this gathering is done, I say to you, hey, you know, let's go ahead and, and grab coffee tomorrow morning. Oh, okay, Kenson, that's fine. Uh, can I ask why? Don't worry about it. Just meet me at the coffee shop. Well, it would be really nice if I knew why. Don't worry, just do it. And for some of you guys, you might be like, well, no, Kenson, no, 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 no. You have to understand, I got work tomorrow. I got a family. I got other, other, other responsibilities. I need to know the why. Either you tell me the why or, or I'm not going to do it. I need to justify that hour. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time. Let me ask you. Can you justify your life? You need an answer for that one hour, but do you have an answer for your life? Because if you don't know the purpose of your life, you're just wasting it. You know, Rick Warren, you know, the best-selling author of The Pur Purpose-Driven Life, was asked, why is your book so popular that for years it was on the bestseller list selling close to a million copies a month for years, the book was hugely successful. So when it was asked of Rick, Rick Warren, Rick, why is your book flying off the shelves? This is what he said. It's because spiritual emptiness is a universal disease. Knowing your purpose is not a religious issue. It's a human issue. Now, today we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature in the Bible, so it's meant to be a practical help. So, for example, you have Job that studies the problem of evil and suffering. Song of Songs discusses the beauty of love and pleasure. Proverbs teaches us on how to live in a way that honors God, and Ecclesiastes explores the meaning of a meaningless life. Now, the author of this book is debatable, but I lean towards Solomon because in verse 1 it says, the son of David, and it also, throughout this entire book, it makes numerous references to someone who has vast wisdom and wealth and power. King Solomon would be a natural fit for that. Now, a few things about King Solomon. He was the son of King David, and his mother was Bathsheba. Solomon prayed for wisdom, and God gave it to him, making him the wisest man to ever live next to Jesus. He wrote over 3,000 Proverbs, 1,000 songs, and three books of the Bible. He reigned in Israel for about 40 years during a season of peace and prosperity. Kings and queens from all across the world would come to visit Solomon for his wisdom. He was the first one to build the temple of God. He was wealthy beyond imagination. He also had 700 wives and 300 concubines. It's been said that if you can put the wealth of Bill Gates the genius of Stephen Hawking, the playboy lifestyle of Hugh Hefner, the religious power of the Pope, the political power of the president, then you would have Solomon. That's the kind of guy who's writing this letter. 
Now, when Solomon writes Ecclesiastes, most believe that it's towards the tail end of his life. We're not 100% certain of that, but we lean towards that because Ecclesiastes has so many references to death, which is a central theme. So in a way, the way that we can see Ecclesiastes is that it serves as an autobiography, that this is Solomon reflecting on his own life, the certainty of death, and what it all means. Now, our message today is going to be in two parts. First, we're going to talk about life under the sun and life above the sun, S-U-N, life above the sun. Now, the reason I'm doing this is because a repeated phrase in Ecclesiastes is the phrase under the sun. It's repeated about 29 times, and we see it twice in our passage alone. Verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And verse 9, there is nothing new under the sun. Now, what the phrase under the sun means is a life disconnected from God because what is above the sun, it's the heavens. It's God. So in Ecclesiastes, when it comes to the purpose of life, it can only be found in one of two ways. Either it is found under the sun, a life disconnected from God. I live as though this physical and fleeting reality is all there is, or I live above the sun. I live connected with God. I live in light of a spiritual and eternal reality. It's only one of those two. There is no third way. So with that, let's go ahead and look at the first purpose of life, right? Trying to find life under the sun. Now, a word that's repeated even more than the word under the sun is the word hevel in Hebrew. It comes up about 38 times, and in our verse, it's translated as vanity. It's in verse 2 of chapter 1. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, hevel can also be translated in other ways, like emptiness, meaningless, or like a metaphor, vapor, or smoke. It's something that shows up and just as quickly vanishes away. You know, what Solomon is talking about here is the problem of death. That when he thinks about his life, when he thinks about his wealth, his accomplishments, his power, his status, his wisdom, it means nothing because death is going to take it all away. If this life is all there is and there is no God, no afterlife, no eternity, then anything we do has no lasting value. It's absolutely pointless. And this is the theme of verses 1 through 11. For example, verse 5 says the sun goes up and down. That's a, that's a message of monotony. It just keeps doing the same thing over and over again. In verse 6, you have the wind blowing from here and there, everywhere. It's just so random with no apparent purpose. Verse 7, the streams and rivers flow unceasingly, but yet the seas never get full. That you have all this work that's going on, but nothing is getting accomplished. This is what it means to be life, to have life under the sun, a life without God. It's unfulfilling, it's wearisome, it's pointless activity. In Ecclesiastes, either there is a God and there is a life above this reality or else everything is utterly meaningless. You are wasting your life. You know, let me show you how this plays out. And the way I want to do this is I want to talk about two very common ways people justify their lives without God. Two very common ways, and we saw it in the video. First, some people would say this, well, the purpose of my life is to make a difference in the world. And second, 
The purpose of my life is for my relationships, like my family. Okay, so let me just wrestle through two of those and why those two don't work without God. So first, I exist because I want to make the world a better place. I want to leave it slightly better for the next generation. And at funerals, you hear this all the time. You know, Bobby was such a good man. He enriched all of our lives. He left a positive impact on the world. Now, that is noble. That's nice to say. But Ecclesiastes says that is absolute nonsense. Your life makes no difference whatsoever. Verse 11 There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Solomon is saying here that if your purpose is for people to remember your impact, it might happen for a little while. It might happen for a generation or two. But in time, no one is going to remember anything you did. You know, every week on ESPN, there's always a debate around the greatest basketball player Ever, right? Millions of people have opinions. Everyone's always going on there. And it's the classic two people. It's LeBron and Jordan, right? And, any, and, and it's really easy to answer that one. Of course, it's Jordan, right? Now, any of us who grew up in this answer, we're not, we're not questioning that. That is a perfect debatable thing. LeBron's pretty good, but Jordan's awesome. But what I recently found out is that for teenagers right now, they're not debating LeBron and Jordan. They're debating LeBron and and Steph Curry, LeBron and James Harden, LeBron and Durant. What? What? No Air Jordan? No MJ? No Airness? No Space Jam? Are you kidding me? Clearly, if anyone is going to be remembered for a long time, it's going to be Michael Jordan. No. In less than two decades after his retirement, fewer and fewer people could care less what he did. Ecclesiastes says, that's your life. No one's going to remember. Verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. In the grand scheme of human history, you are nothing. You will be forgotten, and guess what? Life will continue on without you. The earth will continue spinning as it always has. Do you guys see here? Ecclesiastes is like a punch in the face here. It is devastatingly truthful. It demands that we call it like we see it, that if this life is all there is, then nothing we do ever really matters. That we might try to our best to do good and to give someone a little bit of comfort uh, for, for a little bit of time, but eventually they're going to die. So what's the point? Well, Kenzie, you know, shouldn't we save the planet, clean the ocean, you know, save the polar bears? Ecclesiastes would say, why? Eventually the planet's going to die, the sun's going to go out, civilization is doomed anyway. Well, shouldn't we care for the poor and feed the hungry? Ecclesiastes would say again, why? They're eventually going to die anyway, so why prolong the inevitable? Why? 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 In the end, it means nothing. Everything will be over. Everyone will die. You will be forgotten. Maybe you have millions of dollars and they name a building or hospital after you, but guess what? That building will eventually go down and no one's going to remember you. Nothing counts forever. All is vapor, all is vanity, if life under the sun is all there is. If there is no God who created you, no God sustaining the universe, if there is no eternity, anything you do will disappear. As it says famously in Ecclesiastes 3.20, all are from dust 
and to dust all return. If the purpose of your life is to make a difference, if it's to make a dent in the world, stop fooling yourself. Death is going to erase all of it. Here's the second way we justify our lives. We live for our relationships. We live for our kids. We want to make sure that they are loved and their future is bright. We live for companionship, to love and be loved. I don't care about making a lasting impact in the world. I just want to make an impact in that one person in my life. Here's the problem with this. If all we have is life under the sun, no God, no soul, no eternity, it means that we weren't put on this earth for a purpose. We are just an accident. You know, Wikipedia says this about the formation of the solar system. Let me show it to you. This is what Wikipedia says. The formation evolution of the solar system began 4.6 billion years ago with the gravitational collapse of a small part of a giant molecular cloud. Most of the collapsing mass collected in the center, forming the sun, while the rest flattened into a protoplanetary disk out of which the planets, moons, asteroids, and other small solar system bodies formed. Is this all we are? Are we just a collision of molecules? Are you telling me that the slime that my nine-year-old plays with, I'm no different than that? If we believe there is no God who created us, this must be the conclusion. We are just an accident. We are nothing more than a grown-up germ. And this takes away all significance that I find in relationships. When I hug my child or when I fall in love, that's just a chemical reaction that's going on in my brain. That there is no such thing as love. It's just a bunch of synapses that are firing. That joy you feel when a child smiles at you. That comfort you feel when a friend holds you. That warmth you feel when, when someone approves of you. It's all an illusion. When you, what you feel from them is not something that is deep or lasting. It's just the way that you've evolved. It's just the way that you've learned to survive, right? To live longer by having that. If we're just an accident, there is no purpose. There's no such thing as right or wrong. There's no hope beyond these years. There's no lasting relationships and impact. This is why Solomon says, vanity of vanities. That this is a superlative. Like king of kings means the greatest king. Song of song means the greatest song. Vanity of vanities means the greatest of meaningless. This is what it means to live with no God. And this leads us to our second point, life above the sun. Life above the sun. Now, for many of us, we know that deep down in our hearts that as I was going on my rant here, this just isn't right. Kenson, I don't agree with you one bit. We're not an accident. That does not have the final word. There must be more. I don't care if I'm a Christian or not a Christian. It doesn't matter. I don't need any religion to tell you that that is wrong. Do you know that angst you feel, that rejection to say there is more to life, you are right to feel that way because that is from God. That hunger you have for purpose is to tell you that there is more to life, that what you do matters forever. And this is the point of Ecclesiastes. It's not for you to give up on life. It's for you to find life by looking above the sun. It's to look to God. Look at with, with me again at how Ecclesiastes ends. Back at chapter 12, and let's look at verses 13 and 14, the final assessment that Solomon makes after he reflects on his life. He says this again, the end of the matter 
all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. After Solomon reflects on, his, on the meaninglessness of life, of the pursuit of pleasures and money and power, he discovers what it really means to have purpose. He says the whole duty of man, the whole purpose of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Now, when we see fear God, it's not telling us to be terrified of God. It means for us to revere God, to value God, to esteem God, to treasure him above everything. In other words, if you want purpose and significance, you will not find it in yourself. You will only find it in God. Now, this is totally contrary to what the world teaches us. You can walk into any bookstore, into a Barnes and Nobles, and you will see rows and rows of all these self-help books telling you about the purpose of your life, and all these books will give you the same exact advice. Consider your dreams. Clarify your values. Set your goals. Figure out what you are good at. Believe that you can do it. Never give up on yourself. But here's the problem. You will never find meaning in yourself because you did not create yourself. That you were made by God and for God and any other path leads to emptiness. You know, St. Augustine, an early church bishop, said this. Let me show it to you. He said this. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That there is a God-shaped vacuum in all of our hearts, and we can try to fill it with anything and everything we want, with money, with toys, with relationships, success, family, degrees, affirmation from others, and we can try to stuff and stuff and stuff and try to fill this vacuum, but just like Solomon, you conclude that nothing ever works or nothing ever lasts. You know, the actor Jim Carrey said this. Let me show it to you. He said this, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. You know, for example, if we live under the sun and we put our meaning in our family, what happens when the relationship is broken or the loved one dies? We lose our purpose. We can put our meaning in our work and our careers, but what happens when your skills aren't needed anymore? We lose our purpose. We can put our, our, our purpose, our, the meaning of life, in pleasure or just having as much fun as possible in this life. But what happens when suffering comes? We lose our purpose. Do you guys see? We can't find meaning if it's rooted in me because I'm finite, I'm weak, I'm prone to fail. We, it's only when we center ourselves on God will we find meaning that is lasting and significant because it's only God who is all-powerful, eternal, and unfailing. It's when we put God first, everything else will fall into place. So, for example, when we live before God, we know that we're not an accident, but we're made with loving intent. That God is, that God is creator and sustainer of all the universe, so nothing is an, is an accident. That the Bible says that each and every one of us here, that we're made in the image of God, which means that every single human being on this planet, past, present, and future, has incredible value and worth. Luke chapter 12, verse 7 says this. Let me show it to you. 
Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valued by God than many sparrows. We're just not like any animal that walks on this earth. We're not just a random collection of molecules. We are loved by God. And I love my kids to death, but I have no patience to count every hair on their heads. I would rather shave their head before doing that, okay? But God loves us so much that there is no detail about us that is overlooked. Isn't that amazing? You're not an accident. You have intent. You are loved forever by him. And in addition to this, everything we do matters because death does not have the final word. Chapter 12, verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, this sounds scary to hear every deed into judgment. And it can be if we're living against God. But at the same time, this is so hopeful because it means that nothing we will ever do is going to be meaningless. Everything we do counts forever because of God. Because of God, we don't live in light of the temporary. We live in light of eternity. So, for example, we have the greatest reason to fight against injustice, racism, oppression, and promote mercy, compassion, and generosity because human history is not moving pointlessly. It's moving to the final day when God makes all things right, and we get to play a part in that redemptive history. It also means the people and relationships in our lives, it's something that will last forever because every person you're going to meet is an immortal soul. So that when we invest in them, we're investing in someone who's going to live forever. And if they are a believer, we will be united with loved ones for all eternity, laughing and enjoying our God together. This also means the way we live right now deeply matters because the Bible teaches that the way that you live right now will determine the rest of what forever will be. It's an eternity, that God, it's an eternity where God will reward our faithfulness. So friends, there is no wasted sacrifice, no wasted good deed, no wasted loving act when it's done for Christ. When we find our purpose in God's glory, that's when we find all the significance that we'll ever need. Now, how is this all possible? It's because the God who was over the sun did not forget the people under the sun. That because of our selfishness, we deserve separation from him. Meaninglessness was a consequence of our sin. But God loved us and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer our meaninglessness. That he goes to the cross and says, remember this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced ultimate meaningless because he was separated from God. It's in that moment Jesus took on our emptiness so that we could live a life of meaning, security, and absolute love before an eternal father. That it's on the cross, Jesus got life without God so that we would have life with God. When God wanted to give us purpose for life, he didn't give us more philosophy. He didn't give us more wisdom. He didn't give us more self-help books. He gave us a person who loved us and walked with us and died for us, Jesus Christ. This is the purpose of life. It's to know and to love this Jesus. And it's when we have him at the center of our lives, everything has its fullest meaning. Amen? Amen. You know, let me just close with this story. You know, last Sunday, 
Every Chicagoan was heartbroken because our magical football season came to an impossible end. The Bears were playing against last year's Super Bowl champs, the Philadelphia Eagles. And with only a few seconds left, the Bears were able to get into field goal range and to win this game. So their kicker, Cody Parker, who has not missed a field goal yet in that entire game, was set up to be the hero of the moment. So the ball is hiked, the ball is placed, and the kick is made, and it goes up, and it starts to curve left. Oh, no. And it keeps curving left, and it hits the pole. Doink. Hits the pole again. Doink. And he misses, and the Bears lose. Let me just show you the moment when he missed, okay? Okay? Okay, yeah, it's painful. Yeah, it should hurt, okay? It, should, it, hurt, it hurt me, okay? Now, we know, we know, now we know, okay, we know, we know that the, a Philadelphia Eagles player partially blocked the ball, okay? We know that now, okay? But at that moment, no one knew it. So guess who was, all, who was getting all the blame? It was Parky. It was Cody. He was getting all the blame. And I'm watching this game upstairs, and my wife, who cares nothing about football, says, what's happening? Because she's on her phone, and her Facebook is going crazy with people cursing and being angry towards, towards Cody here. So, you know, so as you can imagine, this must have been a gut-wrenching moment for Cody. And what caught my attention is that when he missed, all the cameras was on him, and then the announcers, the cameras were on them, and then they put the cameras right back on Cody. And this is what I found amazing. The next time they put the cameras back on Cody, do you know what Cody's doing? He's at center field praying. And let me show you a picture of that, right? That even as the crowds in the stands were cursing and booing him, even though he believed that he let the team down, he still went to God. You know, I found out the next day when I was talking to our church elder, uh, Thomas, who was a big Bears fan, he told me that every time Cody attempts a field goal, he always points up to give glory to God. And this Sunday was no different. That as he leaned over in absolute dejection, as his teammates came over to him to comfort to him, the very next thing he does is that he points his finger up. For Cody, whether he makes the field goal or whether he missed the field goal, his life was all about giving God glory. This is a life of purpose. This is a life that can stand against anything, not because you are strong, but because he is strong. That this is a life of significance because his worth is not in who he is or what he has done. His worth is in who his God is. Friends, what is the purpose of your life? And will you live for God? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you so much that our lives are not pointless, that our lives are not meaningless, but because of you, life has its highest significance because you, you are the most significant person there is. So Father, I pray for all of us in this room here. God, help us not to live for those empty things, those fleeting things, to live under the sun, but God, help our eyes to see above the clouds and to live for you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.